Welcome to our live stream today. We sure enjoy communicating with you by email and we enjoy your comments about various programs. A lot of different ways that you can feedback to us and we appreciate all those. I hope that you'll take some time this week to uh, look at the new uh, website because we continue to add new products, a lot of them from Israel. There's news items, there's programs, there's breakout stories that are part of our uh, regular lasting broadcast but there's shorter version that might be an excellent way to share the gospel with friends. And so check out the website because we think it'll provide some extra good tools for you. And of course the books both uh, on prophecy as well as on, uh, on the Beatles and, and other things concerning science. Today I want to talk about a, a subject that I think is probably the, the most important one in terms of an overview. And when I say most important, uh, I, I mean that I think when a person understands this, we really begin to understand how the whole uh, scenario of God fits together. And so I'm entitling this one, The Men Who Would Be Gods. You see, there really is a, a great story, a great conflict, and it has to do with the age-old conflict between God and the devil. The devil wanted to be equal with God. Matter of fact, I want to go back with you to the to book of Isaiah and just read uh, this whole thing because what we're going to find is that there's always a, an attack and a counterattack. An attack by the devil, a counterattack by God. And rest assured, God will win. That, that's what's wonderful to know, God will win. But the devil has, has had a, a jealousy for God and the power of God from the very beginning. Now listen to Isaiah chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter uh, 12. Okay, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, who dost weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And of course, the Bible then says he's brought down. He wanted to be like the Most High God. He, he was jealous of the glory of God. And we know that this story is followed all the way through to Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, as it gives a, an overview of the whole prophetic plan of God through the ages, it talks about how that Lucifer with his tail drew a third part of all the, the stars of heaven or the angels of heaven with him. That's why many people think that there's three archangels. The Bible doesn't say there's three, but, but there's only three that are named. One, Gabriel. He does the announcements. He announced the birth of Christ and other important announcements. One is Micah. He's the warrior angel. He fights the battles of God. He'll, he'll fight the devil in the coming day. And then there was Lucifer, or, or the light angel. And he was in charge of worship. And as he saw the worship that was given to God, he was so jealous of it. He wanted it. Until he said, you know what, I want to be like the Most High God. I, I want to be equal to Him. And when that occurred, he was kicked out of heaven. I personally believe that when he was kicked out of heaven, he came and he, and he brought the earth that was already created perfect by God. He brought it into chaos. You see, he attacked the creation of God. Why? Because he wanted to be equal with God and, and when he saw that he was kicked out of heaven he knew that he could never be equal with God. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? If you attack that creation, then I'm going to counterattack. And what does God do? He, he makes it again. He brings to pass a new creation. So this whole idea of attack, counterattack is all the way through the Bible. Matter of fact, today, just before I began the live stream, someone shared with me a, a statement by C.S. Lewis. Here's what it says. There is no neutral ground in the universe. 
Every square inch and every second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Wow. You could not find a, a quote more specific for our program today. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch and every second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. You see, what I like about this particular quote is it involves both space and time. God owns space. He owns the entire universe. He owns time. He, own, he owns time from eternity past to eternity future. And the devil is so jealous of that. And so he counterclaims. And all the way through the Bible, you're going to find that he's, he's working to try to destroy uh, God and try to destroy man for a very specific reason, which we'll talk about a little bit later in our program. Now, let's go to, to Job, because there's a very unusual story. And sometimes I think we, we don't give Job all the credit that is due him, because I think about the fact that, is the devil actually involved in the affairs of the world? Well, my answer is yes. And my answer is based really on this passage in Job, because here's what it says in Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, and I'm going to stop here because many people think the sons of God probably are referring to, to the angels because throughout Scripture, on a number of occasions, the sons of God were referred to as the angels. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, From where comest thou? Satan answered the Lord, said, Going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou concerned my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? He said, You made a head of it. You, you made it so that, that he has a, a wonderful, perfect life. And so, here's the devil interfering in the affairs of man. Now, mind you this, he can only go so far. Thank God for that. The devil does not have power equal to God. God has omnipower. His power is, is the ultimate power, the almighty power. And Satan is jealous of that power. He'd like to have it, but he doesn't have it. And so the Lord God allowed Satan to begin to do some things to Job. It meant that he would lose his wealth. It meant that he would lose his health. It meant that he would lose his family. Matter of fact, you look at it, what's so sad is even the friends of Job began to criticize Job, saying, Job, you must have secret sin. I think even his wife said, there, there's got to be something wrong. And, and here's the amazing thing. Here's what Job says. Naked came out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His first response was not uh, mercy, but worship. Wow, what, what a testimony. And you see, Satan continues to attack Job. He wanted to be involved in the affairs of the world. I, yeah, I think that that's an important principle that we're going to find all through Scripture in the Old Testament as well as the New. Now, let's go back to another situation which I see the attack of Satan. You see, when God created this beautiful earth, and he put on this earth something very unique, something very different than the very first creation, and I think that was the idea of, of a, a human soul. And the Bible records in the beginning part of Genesis how that man became a living soul. Some people say, well, do you do that to get a million? No, not at all. I'm a young earth person. Scientifically, I'm a young earth person. But I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is so sovereign that, that he can do what he wants to because he owns every inch of the universe. He owns every second of the universe. And so he makes a, a marvelous 
uh, situation here. And Satan attacks it. Why? Well, Satan is jealous. He's jealous of Adam and Eve. He sees that, that while he couldn't be with God, now God has a, a new love. And that new love is the human race. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Because you know what? That love for the human race, we find it expressed even in the New Testament, where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so His love for them would be very expensive for Him. But I think we see in here the, the overall plan of God. Now, a couple things that are, I think are really important for us to notice. Satan, jealous, begins to attack Adam and Eve. And how he does that attack is quite unique. Remember, he goes to, to Eve and he says, hey, try this fruit. And if you eat this fruit, here's, here's what it said. He says, I, I'm going to read you the same. He says this, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. He said, hey, don't you want to be like God? You see, he was telling them, That's, that was my desire. So he says, don't you want to be like God? And of course, Eve, thinking, wow, I could be enlightened. And she looked at the fruit. It was good to look on. She didn't look at the backside, did she? It might have been good on the front side, but on the backside, it would be disobedience to God. And so the lust of the eyes, it saw the lust of the flesh. It said it was good for food. The lust of, of life, the pride of life, it desired to be wise and to be like God. And it didn't work, did it? Matter of fact, the minute they did that, the minute that Eve sinned against God, and then Adam sinned by identification with a woman, we know that there was quite a, a rebellion, a, a spiritual rebellion that would take place in the Garden of Eden. What was a paradise, what was a utopia, Satan attacked. But here's what's interesting to me. No sooner had Satan attacked, no sooner had he had, he, had his desire, and immediately Adam and Eve, they discovered, we're naked. We're, we're not clothed. And they're so embarrassed that they hide themselves and God comes looking for them. Now, that's an interesting statement. You want to know why? God knew where they were. It's like a kid who's trying to hide from a parent. Sometimes little kids play hide and go seek with their parent or their grandparent and, and the, the little kid thinks they're really unique because they're hiding behind the couch or behind, under the pillow and you can see their legs sticking out. And, and so here's Adam and Eve and they're hiding. God knew where they were. But nonetheless, here's what it says, Genesis 3 verse 9. God called him to Adam and said, where are you? Why did God care? I think that's more important than did God really know where they were. Why did he care? You want to know why he cared? Because he wanted to care for them. He wanted to provide a redeemer. You see, the devil brought sin and shame. But as soon as that occurred, almost immediately in chapter 3 verse 15, God promises a redeemer, a savior, a way to, to counterattack and to destroy the threat of, of the fall that Satan had brought in. And so he said it would be through the seed of a woman. I think that's really special. You want to know why? Because remember, it would be through the woman's seed. In other words, Jesus would be virgin born. And so as soon as God announces to them that a Redeemer would be presented, wow, you can imagine how mad the devil is because his great plan to bring and to destroy Adam and Eve, now he says God's going to make a, a, a plan for that? Yeah. God's always in the bit. Satan's in the business of condemning, of destroying, and God is in the business of redeeming. Remember that it's all the way through the Bible, all the way through history. And so then what is interesting to me is that God 
kicks him from the garden. He kicks him from the garden not because he was mad at them, but the Bible explains in chapter 3, verse 22, he said, I'm going to take you from the garden because otherwise, in your sinful condition, you might eat of the tree of life, and if you did that, you would live forever in that sinful condition. So God in his grace guards the way, not a way, guards the way. There was only one way into the Garden of Eden. And God would guard that way because there would only be one way to be restored, and that would be through the Savior that, that God would present through a mankind. Wonderful plan of God. It goes further. Chapter 4, it says that Adam knew Eve, and they have a child. And Eve and Adam were so convinced that, that God was going to send this Redeemer right away that they actually named Cain, they named him Man from God. And that, and that man from God had a fallen nature just like Adam and Eve did then. And you know what that man from God did? He murdered his brother. He was a murderer. Wow. You see, Satan must have been really thrilled when that occurred. But listen, don't worry. God will have the last word. And so then we go to an, another aspect of this. As time goes on, let's skip over to Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, we have the, the story of, of Noah. I, I know the story of Noah is known by almost every Sunday school child. But there are some things that are really important about that story of Noah. And let's take a look at them because here's what the Bible says. You see, Satan knew that God was going to bring a Redeemer through the line of Adam and Eve. And so the fallen nature of man expresses itself. And according to Genesis chapter 6, it says that, that, uh, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. They took the wise of all that chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for he's his flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth. Later, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination and thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. You see the downward spiral? Now, that's only part of the story. Here's the attack. Uh, based on Genesis chapter 6, it says there were giants in the earth. How did these giants come about? Well, there's two main views. One is in verse 2, it says, The sons of God saw the daughters of men. One view is that the sons of God were the, the line of Seth. And they saw daughters from the line of, of uh, let's say, Cain and, and, and Abel and, and so on like that. In other words, the good line of Seth would be marrying to the daughters of the bad line of Cain. I don't, well, I held that view for years, I'm going to be honest with you. But I changed my mind, and here's why I did. I was talking to a, a godly man, a scholar, a man who's written a, a number of books. He's with the Lord now. And he held a different position. He held the second view. He held the view that really these sons of God, just like it was in the book of Job, these sons of God were none other than the angels, the fallen angels. And these fallen angels began to have sex and have children with the line of Seth. And in doing so, the product were incredible giants. Giants and, and uh, unusual men because these were, these were modified humans. Now, so here's the plan of Satan was to corrupt the line of Adam. Why? He did not want a Redeemer to come. If the Redeemer was supposed to come through the human line, if he could contaminate the human line, he would make it so that a Redeemer could not come. Genesis chapter 4, it talks about this Nethanim, the, the giant men. It calls them mighty men of renown. Incredible stories about about these men. Their physical features, their, their, uh, their intellectual pursuit, the advances in music and all that. I, I have a chart before me, you see a little miniature of it, 
What's incredible is that the average, let's just say an average man is about six foot tall. And Og of Basham and, and Goliath, you know, they were 12 feet. But Amos chapter 2 verse 9 talks about the fact that they were actually Amorites who were the height of the cedars. Now, those cedars normally grow up to 36 feet tall. There are, there are people who think that they found skeletons of people that are 24 to 30 feet tall. I don't even know if I believe it, but I do think that there were giants. I, I can't tell you how big they were, but you see this superhuman, this modified human race is what Satan wanted because he knew that if he could do that, he could stop the redemptive plan of God. And so he thinks, wow, I've got a tremendous threat. Well, listen, the plan of Satan is defeated again. Genesis chapter 6, listen to this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Isn't that incredible? You see, with all the contamination that was taking place on planet Earth, especially during this last 120 years, the devil was busy contaminating the human race because he didn't want a pure human race to carry out a redeemer promise that God had made to Adam and Eve. And so he began to contaminate it with these freak people, these modified humans. And I think that when God destroyed the earth and the flood and kept only Noah's family alive, I think that that destroyed the attack. It was a counterattack against Satan. And God says, you know what? I'm going to destroy the whole earth. I'm going to preserve Noah because his, his family's heritage, his family's genealogy, it's pure. It's human. And God gives a rainbow talking about the promise. Now, let's be careful because you know what? It said this that from all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God says, I looked and all flesh had corrupted the way, the way of redemption upon the earth. And so he found it necessary to, to destroy it. But even then, remember that Adam had a fallen nature. Eve had a fallen nature. And Noah, even though he endured the, the flood, it was safe in the earth, he still had a fallen nature. And when he gets out, according to Genesis chapter 9, he's farming. And as he's farming, he gets drunk. And the disgrace that he had was his nakedness. His two sons had to go backward and cover him up. It's interesting because Adam, his nakedness showed that he was fallen before God. And Noah, even after the flood, a new beginning, you'd think, uh, we're still naked before God. You see, we're sinners. The human race has a fallen nature, but it's not one that's contaminated by something that can't produce the Redeemer because that was the plan of God. Now, let's continue our story because, you see, in Genesis chapter 10, and by now you think, wow, are we going to cover the whole book of Genesis? No, we, we've got more ground to cover than just Genesis. But I want you to know that in Genesis chapter 10, it begins to talk about the, the people as they come out of the flood and, and Noah's sons and, and their children and grandchildren and so on like that. And in Genesis chapter 10, it talks about there was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Actually, the word hunter is the word rebel. His name was Nimrod. Nimrod had a, a system, a religious system of his own, in which he thought he was God. Now, there's a lot of rulers. As a matter of fact, we can toward the end, we'll name some rulers today that think they are God. And in this story, in Genesis chapter 10, I mean, we're just a few years out of the flood when the plan of God is back on track. And this man says this, a mighty hunter before the Lord, even Nimrod, and his, the beginning of his king was, kingdom was Babel. The Tower of Babel. Remember what they said? Here's what they say in Genesis 11. Let us come together. Let us make brick. Let us build us a tower. Let us build us a city. 
whose top may reach to heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And they begin to say we're gods. What was the religion of Nimrod? He said, listen, we are gods. And as we build a tower to heaven, we'll reach up, we'll touch God, and we will be God. And so here's Satan back with his attack on the plan of God. And guess what God does? God destroys it. He confounds the languages, and the Tower of Babel is never completed. Now, I want to move forward several thousand years, because isn't it interesting that the founders of the European Union use this picture of the Tower of Babel, famous painting by a Renaissance painter, Peter Burgel, and for its architecture and, and on its posters for years and years, the French slogan was this, many tongues, one voice. But as you look at the tower from, from the picture back in the 1500s, and now you look at the new European Parliament building in France, you see the similarity? Because you see, even in Europe today, they're trying to build a new world order. They're trying to bring all the languages, all the tongues together as one voice so they can unite and we can have a bigger impact on the world. It brings us back to the new world order that we've been studying over the last several weeks, how important it is, because we know that's the governmental form that will be in process when Christ comes for the church. Now, again, I want to show you how universal this is. Because in the book of Daniel, there's a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he's the head of gold from the image. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 30 through 33, King Nebuchadnezzar says this. He said, is, it not, is this not great Babylon that I have built and the house and the kingdom by my might and my power for the honor of my majesty? And you know what? He began to think that he was God. Here's what the Bible says. It's, it's incredible. It says, in the same hour that he said that statement, he went nuts. And he, and he went out into the, the yard of the palace and for seven years he grazed grass like an ox his toenails, his fingernails grew so long they looked like claws of a bird. His hair made him look like a beast. And seven years later, he looked up to heaven and he gave, he gave glory back to God. And God gave him back his mental health. Wow, what a story. Don't, don't take honor from God. Because you see, God has the honor that he deserves. Or how about one in the New Testament? Herod. Wow, may I read you the story? It's, it's so important to, to this subject that I want to read it to you. It's in Acts chapter 12. And it had just been a time when, when Herod had killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And he was planning to kill Peter, and Peter escaped out of prison. You, you remember the story. And so Herod came, and he was given a great speech that said this in verse 21. Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne, made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. You see, God is not going to share his glory with another. Be you Satan, Lucifer, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, or any man that's on the earth right now. Now again, I want to bring it up to, to current day times because the application of this today is so important for us. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-4. through 4. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We're living in perilous times. Look at the confusion that we have in the world today. Economic confusion, health confusion, uh, famines, earthquakes, pestilence. I, unbelievable conditions that, that just make things almost impossible. Even the situation, the political situation in the Middle East. Peace treaties are being made 
with some of the nations, and at the same time, the threats against Israel are more acute than they've ever been by Russia, by Iran. The very enemies that the Bible mentions will be the attackers in the last days. Folks, do you understand? The Bible said that there would be a peace treaty that would be signed and would not work until the Antichrist come and gave it power. All these little peace treaties, are, they're just building to the moment when the Antichrist will come and do his devilish work. He thinks that he can change the plan of God. And so, here's the attack of Satan. Men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Wow. Without natural affection. Romans chapter 1, it says that, that we'll be accepting those that are homosexual, transgender. You know, we can't be neutral on these things because God is not neutral on these things. And as men think that we can redefine what the sexes are, I, I read somewhere where one state now says there's 15 different sexual preferences. How, God created two, man and woman. What do we think we are? Do we think that we're gods to say now there's 15 different sexual orientations? It, it's ridiculous, and it's a slap against God, and God will have the last word. He says, tready, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. My friend, we're exactly there. We're in the, the perilous times, the last days. So, now, having all this as our background of attack, counterattack, let's go one step further. Here's a news item. I want to do several news items, and I hope you'll visit our website because we put some very important news uh, clips on our news section of the web page. And we're just going to touch on them briefly today. But if you'll go there, I think you'll enjoy even more concerning those. But here's a very interesting thing. Today, men still wanted to be equal with God. Revelation 13 is going to talk more about this. We'll turn to it in a minute. But it begins with the story of three little pigs. A billionaire, Elon Musk, well, he started a, a neuroscience startup of a, of a called Neuralink. And what he did, he put uh, a coin-sized computer chip in the brain of a pig for, for several months. Matter of fact, he's got one pig, he's got a uh, chip or two in it, and he's got another pig that they put one in and taken out to see if it recovered. And some of this, he says, well, it's a great purpose. Why? To cure human diseases and to do some different ways for implant. But what might look like good could turn into something evil because the ramifications are way bigger than that. You see, for some time, we've been experimenting with implanting chips and other items into the brain of people. Often they say, well, it's to cure paralysis, or it's to do this, or to retrain the body, or to re reprogram the, the brain. But it also says this. If you look at the research, they will talk about how that eventually will allow us to control people's reaction, their emotions, and so on like that. I'm suspicious of what they have in mind. Here's why. What the first men that started, I don't know their motive, but I know this, that Satan will take it and use it. The Antichrist will take it and use it. Because what we find in Revelation 13 is the quest for power, the quest for deception, and how he wants to give life to the image, not to the beast, but to the image of the beast. He's going to fake something here. Now let's go a step further. Because another very important subject today, and notice that these are articles uh, not even a week old. Here's one called transhumanism. It's the concept of an intermediate form between humans and posthumans. Wow. Remember, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. Can you believe that we're actually reading? I mean, we're looking at programs on television, news stories on television, and we're calling it transhumanism. It, it admits that it's somewhere between humans and posthumans. 
I think they're trying to, again, to, to mess with the whole DNA of the human race. And it says this, transhumanism is, is that being that resembles a human in most respects, but who has powers and abilities beyond those of standard humans. Notice that? Beyond those of standard humans. What, what are they talking about? Well, here's a great story. And it's 20-some it's minutes long. Dr. Carrie Madge. And she's very open about what is taking place. And this medical doctor is certainly against it. It introduces something called transhumanism, or Humans 2.0. It talks about artificial intelligence, luciferous enzymes, and even a, a nanotechnology delivery system. Let, let me try to define two or three of these things. Human 2.0 started with prosthesis technology, trying to, trying to do something worthwhile. Transhumanism. It began to, to meddle in with humans with artificial intelligence, trying to modify DNA. So now a company comes up, their name is Moderan. And Moderan, it's the one that's trying to produce this uh, COVID vaccine that will be injected, and they admit it will modify RNA and DNA to make it part of a virus in the body that could start producing a response to the virus. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I trust this company. Matter of fact, especially when I find out that among the people who are very involved in it are Dr. Anthony Fauci and Bill and Melinda Gates. Now, I don't know about you, but right now, I don't know that I trust Dr. Fauci. We, we know that he's lied to us on several occasions. He certainly deceived us. He certainly changed his mind. And, and we don't even know if he was part of the, the whole situation of bringing COVID into uh, the whole world. The story is very unclear. Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates, they're known because they want to control the population growth of the world. They'd like to see it level off. They'd like to see it lowered. Wow. And so when you get big money backers like these guys and Elon Musk and George Soros, a billionaire who's a Marxist by his own admission, and he wants to modify the whole plan of the human race, folks, it's, it's pretty scary. Let's go a step further with this uh, human 2.0. First of all, the delivery system. It's called a microneedle platform. It's within a band-aid. And it uses what's called a transfection to make the, uh, the vaccine able to fight the virus. Now the transfection is what they've done with some of the vegetables and fruits. They modify them. It doesn't make them healthier, but they modify them so they look a little better. In other words, there's some characteristic that they lose, some characteristic that they enhance. And the makers of the vaccine say the transfection will change the DNA and it will probably look like, probably be temporary. But it could also become part of our, our whole permanent makeup. In other words, maybe by doing this, they're able to change how we are DNA level. Boy, to me, this doesn't look like something that we ought to be messing with as a human race. I don't know that's part of God's plan. The next part of the delivery system is something called Luciferous Enzyme. They named it that because they chose this name because it has a light source that's under your skin. Can you imagine? They, they patented it under the name of the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that sends a red flag to me. And so it says, they, they're doing this with this light source. This is a way, I'm quoting, this is a way to see if you're vaccinated from, uh, so you can have a successful transfection of gene modification. If you have an app on your phone, you can scan over the area. It will give a barcode or a pattern that says you're vaccinated. Uh, the next part of the vaccine is something called hydrogel. It's developed from DARPA. 
It's a science fiction kind of group that's located in the Pentagon. And this thing is actually a bunch of little uh, nanotechnology or teeny robots with an AI platform. They're all connected together. Here's what it says. It means that they can gather intelligence directly from our bodies connected with our smartphones or the cloud. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, sending the information from our bodies. Information can also be sent into our bodies as well as out of our bodies. Wow. Now, as we look at these things and we see where we're standing, I mean, this is what's happening this week right now with the world panicked about COVID and health. And not just COVID-19, what happens to, to COVID-20 and 21? And, and what happens when these, these people that, that want to control the whole world population or decrease the world population, what if they decide to send out another virus? And believe me, I think they're so happy with the results of the first one, they now control the economics of the world, they now control jobs, they control schools. They, they really think that they're controlling everything. But just remember this, that God's in control. And God will have a counterattack. And so here's what we find in Revelation chapter 13. I, I want to go there because this is so important. Because, you see, I think that there's some of you that are listening and say, wow, we, we live in such a fearful time. Well, based on this, Revelation 13, verse 3, it says this, I saw one of his heads as though it were wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. You see, somehow or another, he's going to have a wound to the head, and it's going to be healed. And it's going to be so incredible that the world's going to say, wow, I thought a Messiah was the one who would die and then come back alive. Here's one. He's got Messiah characteristics. And then it goes on to say this. As his head is wounded to death and he lives, it says, and they worship the dragon, that's Satan, who gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make a war with him. You see what's happened? Satan now gets his place. He wants that worship. And so he takes an Antichrist. This Antichrist, he wants power. I don't know who the Antichrist is. I look at some people today who have such power in, the, in their, their money, in their medical knowledge, in their medical modifications. I look at people like uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron and, and how he's growing in popularity. The, the president of Turkey says that he's ready to be the world leader. He's ready to, to head the new world order. I, I see the Pope christening uh, Emmanuel Macron as the, the leader of the new world order. Wow. You know what? Satan always has a man ready to do the devil's bidding. I don't know who it is. And here's why I think it's so important. Because, you see, he's going to deceive the world. He's going to fake a death and fake a resurrection. Why do I say that? Because only God has a power of resurrection. And so then, in verse 15 of chapter 13, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. The, the beast image is not alive, but he'll make it appear alive. It'll speak. People will worship the image of the beast. And if not, they will be killed. And they'll be required to have a mark. Otherwise, you don't buy or sell or trade. And, and the mark will be required. It will be part of the whole thing. And somehow they'll be able to track every single person that doesn't have a mark. We're, we're on the brink of that. Now here's why I'm not afraid. Because do you understand that the church is already gone? We're out of here. Revelation chapter 4, Jesus goes in the clouds, shouts, and takes the church home. Revelation chapter 6 begins the tribulation period. In the middle of the tribulation, Revelation 12, Satan 
begins his devilish work, stops the treaty that he made with Israel, sets up an, an image to be worshipped, the world will, will follow him. It looks like Satan's counterattack against the human race is going to win. But here's what they forgot. They forgot the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the threat is destroyed. Because you understand he's going to take the church home before that moment ever occurs. That's the plan of God. He wants his bride at home with him. Wow. I don't know what keeps you from coming to Christ. Here's, here's the Lord Jesus. You know what? Every time, and again, I can find a dozen more attack counterattacks, and we're going to look at some of those in, in future live streams. But today, you understand that the threat of the devil in the tribulation has been defeated because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus ascended to heaven, and he's coming back for us. I, I can't even imagine that there are people here on the earth today with all the fear they have in their hearts. Listen, folks. The Bible says the economic system is going to collapse. It's not going to get better and better. It's going to collapse. The Bible says natural disasters will increase, not get better and better. The Bible says that corruption in the world will get worse and worse. And it will be so incredible that the Antichrist will feel right at home. My friend, are you ready? You see, Jesus could come today. Everything is set. All the signs we're looking at concerning these modifications of DNA, all these virus things and, and these various delivery systems, that can all be in the tribulation time. But Israel's back in the land as the Bible said it would be. The nations are gathered against Israel exactly as the Bible said. And we live in perilous times and the Bible said that would be true. And Jesus will come back and take those who have received him as a personal savior. Are you ready? I, I can't imagine that there would be a person today watching this, thinking through all that you're watching and seeing in the news around you that you say, I, I'm going to wait another day. Why would you wait? Do you really think it's going to get better? Why would, you, why would you put it off? The Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Now, not tomorrow. Now is the day of salvation. So how do you get saved? First, acknowledge you're a sinner. Understand that you fell. The human race fell with Adam and Eve. You have a sinful nature. We practice sin. We do sin, just like just like Noah came out of the ark and he still had a fallen nature. I have a fallen nature. I sin. Thank God that Jesus died for my sins. So the first thing is to acknowledge that we're a sinner. Next, admit that Jesus is God. That Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He rose again. And that he's the substitute for my sin. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. I deserve death. But, but Jesus took my place. Jesus was my substitute. And finally, accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You see, you can know the facts that you're a sinner. And you can even know the facts that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, really rose again. Not fake it like the Antichrist will do. But if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I take you as my personal Savior, then you're not ready for Jesus to come. You're not ready for tomorrow in this world. Because you see, even though every inch of the universe is claimed by God, every second is claimed by God, Satan counterclaims it. And he's not going to win. You won't win unless you come to Jesus. There's only one way. And that's through the cross. Through what Jesus already did. I hope you'll do that today. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com.
B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.